Om Ajnana Mirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Vitam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurve Namaha Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chaiva Narotamam Devim Sarasvatim Vyasam Tatojayam Mudirayat Panchakalpa Tarubhyascha Kipa Sindhu Vaivacha Patitanam Bhavanebhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namo Namaha Okay, hi guys, sorry about that uh, confusion. So here we're um, gonna start the, my last class here. And actually I finished chapter two um, last class because I didn't realize there was five Thursdays in the month. Um, so this class, I thought I would just uh, kind of go into to chapter three because it's a very cool chapter. And because chapter two and chapter three are very um, connected, the end of chapter two kind of segues into chapter three. And I'm just gonna go in chapter three through um, the first couple verses and then a bit of like uh, story time, I guess, through the, the list of avatars. And I'll kind of end with the famous, the famous verse, kind of the, the, the um, what this chapter is really known for. That verse, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of end there because because <clears throat> that is verse number 20, uh, 28. So I'm gonna end with that verse because actually there's two verses. There's a verse in the second chapter, Vedanti Tattvavidas, um, and then this verse in the third chapter, that are really like these two verses together kind of like define our philosophy in a very um, compact way. So these are these two verses, uh, you know, going from chapter two to chapter three, you take these two verses and put them together. And that's basically um, the, the Krishna conscious philosophy that's these Krishna, Svayam, Bhagavan, and what the nature of, of non-dual consciousness is. And of course, that's what our, our Acharyas have done. Um, Krishna, Kaviraj uh, created a verse out of Jiva Goswami also. So these two verses together are really like the core of our philosophy. So uh, we covered the, the, you know, the first one, Vedanti Tattvavidas, and the whole, we went through the whole second chapter. Um, and I'll just kind of go through this chapter uh, and kind of end around end around that verse there, um, even though there's a bit more to the chapter. Uh, so we finished chapter two last week where we saw uh, many of the questions were answered in a, in a, in a small, in a, in a brief way, at least in chapter two, many of the, uh, the questions that were answered by the sages of Namisharanya. And of course this goes on throughout the whole Bhagavatam, these question and answer, question and answer, hearing and chanting, it's kind of the, 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 the geography of the, or the topography of the Bhagavatam, questions within questions and stories within stories and whatnot. Um, so we heard the questions to answer, uh, we heard the answers to question one and two um, in the second chapter, what is most beneficial for society and what's the essence of the scripture? So that verse came to and kind of answered those two questions. We heard um, what was the, the third question, what was the purpose of Krishna's appearance in the world? Um, particularly from the womb of Devaki, but uh, what, what is the purpose of the avatars in general? Uh, we heard that in one hand, um, it would, might be to perform some specific tasks such as creation or some 
some um, fix within the creation or, or, or whatnot, um, some particular problem. Um, we hear in the Gita, Paritranena Sadunam Vinashaya Chaguskritam, right? Um, that he comes to, uh, you know, he comes for the devotees and he comes to annihilate the miscreants, but, uh, you know, so to uh, comes to establish Dharma or annihilate the, the miscreants, but really he's coming for the devotees, Paritranaya Sadunam, um, and to, in a sense, showcase himself and attract people to the path of devotion. So, uh, you know, like Jiva Goswami translates Krishna, I think, as, as, uh, um, as irresistible. So, so he comes with this kind of attracted, irresistible, charming, uh, and like fantastic kind of leelas to attract people to him and consequently attract them um, to his service and, and what is their actual constitutional position. Um, and the, so that was chapter, that was uh, kind of answering the question three kind of near the end and then of, of chapter two, answering kind of the question of chapter, uh, the question number three, sorry. And the chapter ended with uh, a beginning description of the Lord as the object of bhakti. It's differentiated Vishnu from Shiva and Brahma, dif differentiated Vishnu from, um, from the gunas. And it described Vishnu as a Purusha, the form of the Lord that's kind of most close to the world, uh, most close to us <clears throat> in a material sense, in the, in, in the sense that he's the, he's the creator of cause and effect and, and whatnot. And, you know, this is why Vishnu is such a prominent God. And uh, we ended with the description of the creation um, and the, the transcendental, the, the creation myth kind of, and the transcendental forms of the three Vishnus, um, we, of which the, there's that nice verse in the Sattvata Tantra that says, by knowing these three Vishnus, one attains liberation or can, can get liberation. And we also heard in the last verse, um, let's see here, in the last verse that the Lord, the creator of the universe absorbed in himself, sorry, absorbed himself in the forms of various Leela avatars, um, such as devatas, animals and humans. And in that way he protected the world um, as a controller of Satyaguna, or he assumes the roles of incarnations to reclaim those in the modes of pure goodness. Thus the Lord of the universe maintains all planets inhabited by demigods, men and lower animals. So that's where we ended last verse. And I think in this connection, I brought up this kind of notion that Hinduism in a sense is kind of excels or at least is very unique in this regard in, in, in the sense that it sees the forms of the Lord and the avatars as manifesting and um, blessing more than just humans, um, that the Lord appears in different species. Um, like as this verse says, uh, he, he says the devatas and the animals. And interestingly enough, Prabhupada in one of his purports even just about um, the Paramatma says, you know, the Paramatma enters the, um, the organic and the inorganic. So it's just, it's kind of a nice thing. Like it, 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 it makes Hinduism very easy to kind of extend this compassion or, 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 you know, seeing God in everything in all in animals and, and even in, um, in the inorganic, I can't, there's a, a quarry kind of down here that over the last 12, 13 years have just seen the mountain go down and down and down where they're just like carving out this white, you know, rock that they use for cement or something like that. And I just, when I read that thing by Prabhupada that, you know, God enters even inorganic materials. I was thinking how, you know, how, 
how that can be linked to kind of environmental sensitivities uh, so easily in Hinduism, where you know you would even see this kind of mining as 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 a form of violence, um, you know, even agriculture in a sense that this scraping the earth and whatnot. Anyhow, um, <clears throat> so we see uh, these kind of these uh, incarnations of the Lord as as kind of gods, uh, empowered incarnations um, in human society, of course. Um, uh, and also in animal forms, where the Lord appears as if, uh, you know, in the, he appears in the fish kingdom as Matsya, and he, he appears in the, uh, you know, in the species of pigs as, as Varaha. Um, so I was kind of bringing up this point, and uh, last, I think Mitra asked about this, and uh, uh, it was kind of nice, that the, like, the idea is that all these species or forms um, kind of, like, participate in, in God's existence, and, and, um, you know, I guess I was kind of thinking, you know, uh, in relation to Prabhupada's purport on the Ishopanishad, the first verse, it says, Om Purnam Adaha Purnam Idam Purnam Udachate. And, uh, you know, when discussing the kind of formless feature of the Lord, um, uh, kind of as part of, of Krishna, Prabhupada says, um, I'll just quote it here. He says, the complete whole is not formless. If he were formless or if he were less than his creation in any way, he could not be complete. The complete whole must contain everything both within and beyond our experience. Otherwise, he cannot be complete. So in this sense, all the species participate in, in and um, participate in God. And near the end of this chapter, um, on commenting on verse uh what verse verse 26 um, kind of, yeah but commenting on verse 26 where it says uh that the the number of avatars is unlimited asankhya um uncountable avatari avatar hi asankhya uh, Prabhupada quotes uh quotes uh Sri Prahlad Maharaj and he says he says there he, he's paraphrasing one of Prahlad Maharaj's verses um to Lord Nishinga where he says my lord you this is funny too because probably <laughs> I thought Prabhupada adds an extra word here that's not in the, in the direct verse, but he says, my Lord, you manifest as many in, and this is kind of an answer to like, I think um, uh, Mitra was kind of asking where it is. And here, here I found where Prabhupada kind of basically says that he says, my Lord, you manifest in as many incarnations as there are species of life, namely the aquatics, the vegetables, the reptiles, the birds, the beasts, the men and the demigods, just for the maintenance of the faithful and the annihilation of the unfaithful, you advent yourself. So here he's he's saying, Prahlad Maharaj is saying that directly, you manifest in as many incarnations as there are species of life. Uh, Prabhupada added vegetables here. So I thought that was, I, I don't know, I thought that was kind of charming that there was, he was alluding to some kind of vegetable incarnation. Um, I think I'd, it's not in the actual Sanskrit of the word uh, Prahlad Maharaj's, I don't think. So now we'll, we'll start to hear about the list of, of these Asankhya avatar, these um, innumerable avatars, um, which is, is meant to, is, you know, meant to be understood in the, in the sense that they, they are infinite and unlimited but the word asankhya can also mean not well known. So some of the avatars are hidden or unknown, and you know we'll come, we can come back to that later. I'm sure you know uh, who I'm referring to there. So the description of the avatars um, it begins again with a dis it, it, here in the beginning of chapter chapter three. Krishna is the source of all incarnations. Um, it begins with a 
a reiteration of of the avatars that we just finished in the in the last section of chapter two, Karna Dakshai Vishnu, Garbo Dakshai Vishnu, and Kshiro Dakshai Vishnu, where the creation was described. So here we get these uh, avatars again, but I think they're not reiterated, reiterated so much as uh, repetitiously just to describe the creation again, but but they're more as a description. They're they're spoken of again more of a description as how the avatars enter into the material world um so it's it's done just i guess to be kind of like a more of a complete complete account of of this kind of avatar uh subject because we're we're going to actually go back over kind of what was just said again in the in the second chapter so i'll read the first verse Sutta Uvacha Jagre Purusham Rupam Bhagavan Mahadhadidi Sambutam Sodashaka Lam Adoloka Shishikshaya. Sutta said, In the beginning of creation, the Lord first expanded himself in the universal form of the Purusha incarnation and manifested all the ingredients for the material creation. And thus, at first, there was the creation of the 16 principles of material action. This was for the purpose of creating the material universe. So this is a very nice verse. Um, uh, it's quoted in the Chaitanya Charitamrita in the fifth chapter, what I was quoting from last class um, in, in describing the, um, these three avatars. Um, so it's, it's kind of fun to go, to, to, to go when you're going through verses in the Bhagavatam and see which ones Krishnadas Kaviraj quoted. And you can kind of like go through the whole Chaitanya Charitamrita and see what you know, because I think maybe only 10% Gumar says is Sanskrit, and you see which verses he took from the from the uh, Srimad Bhagavatam and from the Bhagavad Gita. It's kind of fun when you come across those verses in the text, because so they must be kind of like important or special in some way that he would have chosen um, to take that verse. And this verse, Jagre Purusham Rupam Bhagavan Mahadhadibi, it's it's actually a verse um, personally that is one of my favorites, but it's just come kind of come from a personal you know, a personal memory of mine, you know, when I began interacting with the devotees. And it's nice, um, actually, when you kind of start to develop these connections with specific verses and, and you have, you know, some kind of like uh, attachment to them, even though it perhaps is not maybe the most rasic verse in the world or whatever. But it's nice when you start to develop an attachment to the verses, to, this, to hearing the Sanskrit, and you, there are kind of certain memories and connections made. And for me, this is, it's one of my favorite uh, verses because of this memory. There was this documentary that came out in Canada by the, the National Film Board. It must have been in the 80s um, called Les Adeptes. The, I think in English, it was translated as the followers, Les Adeptes, the adepts in French. Um, and it was all about the temple in Montreal um, when Kirtanananda was the head and it was just kind of like at its peak. It was, it was really booming. And I just loved that documentary. I, I hadn't really come in contact with the devotees yet, but they used to play it on public television, um, you know, and it was just seeing how devoted, how beautiful the devotees were. Like the men were all dressed beautifully. Everybody had a shaved head. I mean, everyone, the women were dressed beautiful, beautiful saris and and whatnot. And, and there was a section where they, they showed the morning program, like kind of, it wasn't exactly flattering, but they showed the morning program. And, this is the verse that they were chanting, Jagre Purusham Rupam Bhagavan Mahadhadipi. So it's one of the first verses I ever heard of the Bhagavatam. And the way they were chanting it with the, mel uh, the, the melody and whatnot, the, the men and the women, it was like, uh, the recitation was so beautiful. And um, 
even though the documentary was very unflattering and I think the devotees were very unhappy with this documentary and it played on TV for a long time. Um, <clears throat> but it was, it, for me, it had the total opposite effect. So this was kind of like one of the first verses of the Bhagavatam that I ever heard. Um, but it just goes to show that the devotees, you know, and de devotion and, and the extended idea of that is just uh, intrinsically and inherently attractive, you know. Uh, I think they say like any press is good press. And um, in this case, it was, a, certainly it was for me, it had a big effect on me hearing this verse chanted by devotees. Um, so <clears throat> anyways, that's just a little personal, I don't know, but um, so I'll just go through the, the, some of the important points in the verse. Jagre Purusham Rupam Bhagavan Maharadhi. So Bhagavan, it, it, what it's saying is um, Bhagavan accepts the form of the Purusha. So what it's, it's reinforcing the, the point of Vedanti Tattva Vidas in a sense that it's Bhagavan who has, um, is kind of the, the, in a sense, the most complete vision of the absolute in the sense that he has the uh, these opulences of the of the paramatma and the bhagavan and so he is accepting the form of of the paramatma it's jagre purusham rupam so the purusha the form of the purusha is accepted by bhagavan um, and he accepting these forms shows that it's um you know bhagavan like i said who is kind of the most complete um of these kind of features or aspects um, but they are kind of features or aspects of his of his transcendental personality, and he accept accepting the form also implies that he's independent. He chooses to do that, um, and that he existed before, um, and that also he remains unchanged in the same way that accepting the role, uh, you know, for a job or whatnot, um, you know, for a certain time, you 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 end up you you remain the same person, and so there, these are of course like the the three phases. <clears throat> Excuse me. And here it's pointed out that Bhagavan purposely, willfully accepts the form of the Purusha. So we understand that this verse, um, as Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami uh, kind of describes in, in the, the Vedanti Tattva Virda, sorry, the, this idea of, of um, the three phases of the Absolute. Um, that the Paramatma is a feature of his personality and the impersonal Brahman is his effluence. This is, this is what we learned from, from the uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita, the, the luster of his divine body. So the verse is confirming that Bhagavan takes on the form and he does this for Adoloka Shrikshikshaya, which means um, for the purpose of creating the material universe, Sambhutam Sodashakalam, the creation of the 16 elements. Uh, there's different lists in the in the metaphysics uh, um, of, of the elements, but I think this is basically the five working senses, the five acting senses, the five material elements in the mind. So that makes that makes 16 elements. Um, and Prabhupada makes an important comment um, on page page 136 here um, as to kind of like why the you know why this creation. I I, I was reading the the purport and and he gives some just kind of really nice consense uh concise sorry uh description of of you know why and and he, so he says the material world is created at certain intervals and then destroyed this creation and destruction is done by the supreme will because the conditioned souls or nitya buddha living beings the nitya buddha or the eternal conditioned souls have a sense of individual individuality or a hunkar which dictates to them sense enjoyment 
which they are unable to have constitutionally. The Lord is the only enjoyer and all others are enjoyed. The living beings are predominated enjoyers. So it's, it's just nice here because he says, he says that, you know, because of a hankar dictates sense enjoyment, but that one is unable to have it constitutionally. And so the only way <laughs> that one can have kind of uh, this, this um, sense enjoyment is in, in this kind of like phantasmagorial dreamlike state, you know, which is basically Maya, you know, Maya is referred to often, you know, just like a, as a dream. So one is constitutionally not able to, to have this type of enjoyment. So um, the, in the material world, one kind of goes through it, uh, you know, like a dream. Um, so this is kind of, you know, these are the kind of the reasons for creation, uh, the chance to enjoy is given, but, but like Prabhupada says here, since, uh, you know, sense enjoyment is really unaccessible, um, um, constitutionally, the souls are kind of stumbling around in a stupor in Maya, um, in, a, in this kind of like dreamlike creation, Maya, mirage kind of thing. And, you know, this is not just being like kind of some kind of uptight and, uh, you know, world negative type of type of idea. It's it's really, well, you know, it's just really kind of the nature of the world. The senses are never satisfied. Um, and and I mean, these are kind of like truths that everyone everyone can agree on. So it's it's not just a matter of you know wanting to control people or make their lives miserable or or whatnot. It's just sense gratification is never fulfilled, and yet we have this desire for fulfillment. So. And uh, the second reason, of course, is to attract people to him, to their constitutional position. So this verse was talking about Shiradakshayu Vishnu. And now we'll go on to the second verse. And I, I think I'll probably not read the Sanskrit for all of them. But the second verse here, whoa, my chair just sunk. The second verse here is uh, about Garbhodakshayu Vishnu. So it's going through the same sequence. A part of the Purusha lies down in the water of the universe. And from the navel lake of his body sprouts a lotus stem. And from the lotus flower top of the stem, Brahma, the master of the engineers, becomes manifest. So here we're talking about Lord Brahma, who is the uh, patron saint of engineers, Brahma Vishvas, Brahma Vishvaswam Pati. So he's the Pati of the master of the engineers of the universe. He's quite remarkable in that he creates bodies that that you know can transform and evolve according to past karma. So he's somehow able to like line up the evolution and growth of the body with the past is quite un, past karma is quite inconceivable so text three it is believed that all the universal planetary systems are situated on the extensive body of the purusha but he has nothing to do with the created material ingredients his bodily is eternally pure in spiritual existence par excellence so this is one of his supreme opulences that he's he's able to enter the world um, but he's not touched by it Text four, the devotees with their perfect eyes see the transcendental form of the Purusha who has thousands of legs, thighs, arms, and faces, all extraordinary. In that body, there are thousands of heads, ears, eyes, and noses. They are decorated with thousands of helmets, earrings, and are adorned with garlands. So these are the devotees with their perfect eyes. They see the transcendental form of the Purusha. And uh, of course, what, is a, what are perfect eyes? doesn't mean 2020 vision or being able to see at night. It means being able to see the difference between um, Maya and Krishna and more. More, it kind of means see, being able to see the opportunity for devotional service at every moment and every opportunity. That's 
that's quite a quite a feat. Gumraj often tells the story of Bhakti Siddhanta when he was he was asked that if he had ever seen Krishna, and he responded very, you know, uh, very on point by saying he was never looking for Krishna; he was only looking for service to Krishna. As you know, service is what qualifies one to um, to to see him. Seva mukrahi jiva do svayam eva spurati said so by by the service beginning with the tongue, then one will have spurti or the vision of Krishna. Um, and of course, this verse reminds us of the, the famous verse in the Brahma Samhita, Premanjana Chulita Bhakti Vilochana, eyes tinged with the salve of love, um, are able to see the Lord and love means service. <clears throat> so here we begin the, the list of the avatars, which I'll mostly just read through and, oh, it's starting to pour here. Make it a little loud. Um, so the, the list of avatars is, is beginning here. Um, well, there's verse, just text five here. This form is a source and indestructible seed of multifarious incarnations within the universe. And from the particles and portions of this form, different, different living entities like demigods, men and others are created. Okay, now we get to the list. So <clears throat> I'll just go through this and I guess I'll, I'll maybe comment a little bit on the avatars that I'm particularly fond of. Um, And we see like, um, you know, here we, we kind of see the path of bhakti and how user-friendly is it, user-friendly it is in just that by hearing, chanting and repeating these stories, uh, like I'm fortunate to do today, just repeating, <laughs> repeating them. <clears throat> um, that this in fact is, is a very powerful spiritual practice. Well, we, we find that stated near the end, end, of, end of this list and so much, spiritual practice, as sorry, spiritual advancement can be made just by uh, reciting these stories. Prabhupada makes this really ni nice comment um, later on, um, later on here, let me just find it. He makes, yeah, he makes this really nice comment where he says, we should always take advantage of the narrations of the activities of the Lord, which are meditations on Brahman in the most convenient and palatable form. So I found this sentence to be um, quite striking that, that the narrations of the activities of the Lord are meditations on Brahman. I guess that's obvious, but for some reason, when I read that, it, it, you know, it, it, it struck me that, that just hearing and chanting and, and kind of listening to these stories of the Lord is the same as like what jnanis do meditating on Brahman. So you can kind of compare the meditation techniques. Um, personally, I, I would much prefer to hear these charming stories. So let us begin. First of all, in the beginning of the creation were the four unmarried sons of Brahman, of Brahma, sorry, the Kumaras, who being situated in vows of celibacy underwent severe austerities for realizing the absolute truth. So here it was, it was not by their birth um, as Brahma um, that they, they achieved qualification. Um, it was by their, their actions and their penance. He, he asked them to, to help with the, uh, the creation of the, the population and they, they um, politely refused. And, and um, it's brought out that they, uh, it was not by birth that they were, they were considered great, but by their example of renunciation. Text seven, 
the supreme enjoyer of all sacrifices accepted the incarnation of a boar and for the welfare of the earth, he lifted the earth up from the nether regions of the universe. So anybody who knows me knows that this is one of my favorite incarnations, Lord Boar, the form of the Lord that shows his, um, this is the form of the Lord that, that shows his love for the earth. Um, it said that this, this form is uh, made of sacrifice and there's a beautiful description where his four feet are des uh, described as representing the, the Vedas, his tusks, the sacrificial stakes, um, his teeth are, are the offerings and his mouth is the altar, the, his tongue, the sacrificial fire and his bodily hairs are the kusha grass. So first Lord Raha saves the earth from the depths of the ocean and lifts her up to safety and marries her. And that's where we see where, um, you know, besides being a very terrestrial animal who likes to kind of be in the, the earth and the, the mud, um, there's a story where he saves the earth planet and, and marries her, showing his love for the earth. And then secondly, he kills the demon here in Yaksha. So uh, Varahadev also, this is my favorite part, makes a lovely appearance, just checking the time, in the, um, in the Chaitanya Bhagavat. Uh, Mahaprabhu heard the pastime of Lord Varaha and he immediately took on the bob and began acting like a pig rushing around. Um, and he, he immediately rushed to the house of Murari Gupta, who is a very intimate devotee of, of his, Hanuman, I think. Um, the Lord, he, he went to Murari Gupta's house roaring and he went in the, into the temple room of Vishnu and he saw a beautiful water pot sitting in the corner. So when he saw the water pot, then he took on, uh, you know, he took on the, the bhav and the form of Lord Varaha and he lifted the water pot on his tusks, just like um, Lord Raha lifted the earth, <clears throat> lift, lifted mother, mother, mother Earth. And in the, in the kind of mood of the Purusha, this, uh, of the, this, the powerful masculine principle, he demanded prayers from Murari. And Murari was tongue-tied at first, but eventually he, um, you know, eventually he found his words and glorified. Uh, glorified Mahaprabhu as as Varaha Dev and fell flat on the flat on the ground offering obeisances. Uh, he said that the Vedas were unable to fully uh, reveal his transcendental pos uh, uh, personality and his absolute nature. And, and going off that, the, the Lord was very satisfied with Murari, but he became very angry at the Vedas. And he, you know, he, he went on to say that the Vedas had the audacity to say that he had no hands, no legs, no mouths or no eyes. And this angered Lord Raha. We just see, you know, see the, saw that verse earlier, that be beautiful verse describing, um, you know, what the devotees see with their beautiful, with their perfected eyes, the, the transcendental forms with thousands of legs and arms and hands and stuff. So Lord Raha was, was angry that the Vedas had described him with none of these. Um, and, and it kind of refers back to Prabhupada's comments on the Ishupanishad that obviously, you know, the complete whole, the absolute has to contain um, everything that we find in here. So to say that he has no form, no eyes, no legs, no hands, it actually, in a sense, is making us superior to him. It's making him less than us. We have something that he doesn't have. So this is this is kind of bizarre. And then he refers to this wretched sannyasi in, in Kashi who, who um, teaches this to his students. And uh, I think he's referring to Prakashananda. I'm not I'm not entirely sure. He says that the sannyasi wants to mutilate his form and amputate his divine limbs. Um, and, and we had just heard, uh, you know, how beautiful his the limbs of the body of the Lord are. Are so, 
The point being that even as a pig, he is, he is beautiful and worshipable and transcendental. And it's said um, by some, some of the devotees in the Gaudiya Math, I read a beautiful, a beautiful kind of like uh, piece of advice. They said that we should pray to the lotus hooves of Rahadev, that he'll dive into the waters of our heart like he dove into the, the waters of the cosmic ocean. Um, and that he'll he'll snort and sniff around in the mud and muck at the bottom of our heart and help us to root out the anarthas because that's what that's what uh, pigs do. Prabhupada says that in the purport here. He says picking up something from a filthy place is done by a boar. So that's what they do. So uh, we're supposed to pray to him that he'll he'll sniff around and 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 pull out the anarthas from our heart. Okay, text eight. In the millennium of the Rishis, the personality of Godhead accepted the third empowered incarnation in the form of Deva Rishi Narada, who is a great sage among demigods. He collected expositions of the Vedas, which deal with devotional service and which inspire non-fruitive action. So Narada, the transcendental spaceman, we're familiar with him. He's like a jester kind of who helps, you know, often he, he appears and helps the Lila along. His influence is huge. He um, uh, he gave us the Narada Pancharatra, which is a, a book about ritual and worship, um, which it contains a, a very important verse, Sarvapati Vinir Muktam Tatpatvena Nirmalam, which is a, a really nice definition of pure bhakti, a very important definition of pure bhakti. Uh, but perhaps most importantly, um, in a sense, he gives us the Bhagavatam in, in the sense that when Vyas was in a in a despondent state after completing and dividing the Vedas into four and um, after writing the Mahabharata and whatnot, um, his necessity kind of drew the appearance of Narada who, who is compared to the, uh, he's called Bhagavan sometimes I think, but he's compared to the sun. He can travel anywhere. We see him kind of like throat floating through space, but he's compared to the sun who can travel anywhere in the three worlds. And Narada tells him direct, you know, to write directly about Bhakti and Vasudev, um, and in a sense inspired the trance of Vyas from which, which we get the text. And his example um, that comes just in chapter four and five through the story of his life where we see the stages in the second chapter that we went over um, played out is, is really nice. We see the blossoming of these stages of bhakti. And there's a lot to be, to be drawn from his life, especially that story we see the power of serving saintly people. We see the power of prashadam too, um, where he was he was given remnants. We see the so we see the power of, of um, serving sadhus. We see the power of prashadam. We see the glory of just being a simple servant, a menial servant, cleaning and um, you know and how what a glorious position that can be. And we also from his life story and previous lives we hear about the. Um, you know, the power of Kirtan and how powerful the holy name is. I mean, there's much that can be said about all of these, but I'm gonna try and get through the list. Um, in the fourth incarnation, the Lord became Nara Narayana. Sorry, in the fourth incarnation, the Lord became Nara and Narayana, the twin sons of the king of Dharma. Thus he undertook severe exemplary penances for the control of the senses. So again, I think I mentioned this because Nara Narayana is one of the presiding deities of the book, but he's a very beautiful devotee, uh, uh, deity for the devotees because it shows Jiva and Bhagavan as a unit kind of um, Nara Narayan as a unit of love so he's he's depicted as kind of the very very form of renunciation 
um, of, of, to, of austerity and tapasya. He's dressed in deer skin and he has the, the, the water pot and the broom and the staff, all these symbols of renunciation. It's a glorification of the, the culture of renunciation. We find it throughout the Bhagavatam and in a lot of the, um, in a lot of the avatars as well. Um, this kind of glorification of renunciation, not, not as a path in and of itself. I mean, that was made clear in the second chapter, but um, in the culture of the Bhagavatam, we see, you know, even the Varnashram Dharma, that the kind of the sannyasis are, are you know, at the head of the, of the ashrams um, because they were detached. It's not, a, it's not kind of like a purely, you know, power hierarchy, but it, it means because, uh, you know, these renounced people and, and people who personify renunciation, it means they're impartial. And it, beyond that, it, it means that they're not, ex, they're non-exploitative. Um, so they see, you know, they see the whole world as their family, this idea that kind of one renounces one's family, but really what, 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 what one's doing is kind of embracing the whole world as one's family. And to see that as the, the, the top of society, I mean, you just compare it to the world we live in now where the, you know, the heads of society today are like, uh, I mean, I don't wanna be too poo-poo on, on the modern world or whatnot, but like the most famous person is someone, you know, someone like Kim Kardashian or you know, basically just the biggest um, um, vacuous enjoyers. Um, these are the people that are glorified in, in in our world today, that's and it's that's capitalism and consumption. Um, so you see, you know, this kind of consuming capitalist system compared to like what was, what is kind of described in the Bhagavatam, where renunciation is glorified and and you know, it's renunciation is is, is like far more kind than than consumption, and yet somehow we feel like sometimes we feel like renunciation is uh, a bad thing, but it's not. It's it's a it's a a nice break against against uh, con consumption and capitalism. <laughs> Anyhow, um, text number ten: the fifth incarnation, Lord uh, named Lord Kapila, is the foremost amongst perfected beings, and he gave an exposition of the creative elements and metaphysics to Suri Brahmana. For in course of time, this knowledge had been lost. So he gave knowledge, Gyan of metaphysics, uh, Sankhya. Uh, which is about kind of making distinctions between this and that. So uh, many of these incarnations, like the next one, Dattatreya, the sixth incarnation of the Prusha was the son of the sage Atri. He was born in the womb of Anasuya who prayed for an incarnation. He spoke on the subject of transcendence to Alarka, Prahlad and others. So there's an emphasis on, on, uh, on the giving of Gyan in these, these uh, incarnations. Um, Sambandha Gyan is this kind of distinction between matter and spirit and Prabhupada says um, uh, the controller of both. So it's a distinction between what is matter, what is spirit and, and who or what is the controller of both. And kind of this is the meaning of, of enlightenment or, or knowledge in a sense in that in the light, uh, when it's daytime, one can make distinctions as to what's, you know, what's on the table, uh, what's in front of you on the path, whereas in the dark, you know, one's confused and it's all a kind of like um, a blur, or so to say. So many of these avatars um, have come in order to dis dispense uh, gyan and disperse, disperse uh, illusion, I say. But the, many of these, many, many of these um, beautiful and important verses um, 
you know, you can go through and study all of them. There's so much to be learned from each avatar and we don't have the time to do that. But uh, yeah, Kapila Dev also very beautiful verses spoken to his mother and by his mother, Devahuti. Uh, so you can go check that out. <sighs> so text we did. Okay, here's Yagya. The seventh incarnation was Yagya, the son of Prajapati Ruchi and his wife Akuti. He controlled the period during the change of Svayambhuva Manu and assisted the demigods such as his son Yama and the others. So there's some place for, for government in the universal affair here. <laughs> there's some place for government in the world. Text 13, the eighth incarnation was King Rishaba, the son, the son of King Navi and his wife, Mary Devi. In this incarnation, the Lord showed the path of perfection, which is followed by those who have fully controlled their senses and who are honored by all orders of life. O Brahmanas, the ninth incarnation of the Lord prayed for by the sages was King Prithu, who cultivated the land to yield various produce, produces for the reason. For that reason, the earth was beautiful and attractive. So King Prithu is another one that I kind of like. Um, now I'm a bit of a farm boy due to Gurmaj's mercy. I've been living kind of in farm-like situations now. So I was always, I kind of like the story of, um, of Prithu Maharaj. He was born out of the churning of the body of King Veena, which is pretty far out. He was a bad king. Um, the Rishis killed him. And then um, basically his body was churned and out of his right arm came King Prithu. And he kind of ended the famine and anarchy left by King Veena. And um, so he, there's a pastime of him chasing a cow, which is a bit, bit bizarre. Um, the earth took the form of a cow and he chased her in, in, and threatened her. Um, but then they came, to, they, they came to a resolution together and reason came to a reason, reason together and he, he promised to be her guardian and he milked her. And um, from that milk received all the vegetation and grain. So as her milk came out, um, the vegetation and grain was kind of came out as her milk, so to say. So this pastime um, is said to be showing the the um, the agricultural revolution, which is a you know a very a, a very like pivotal point in in human history. And it's it's interesting to see it here. It said that before Prithu, there was no cultivation, no pastures, no agriculture, no roads. Um, the Atharva Veda credits him for the invention of the plow, which is interesting, and agriculture. And so it said that he flattened the earth and encouraged breeding cattle and uh, breeding cattle and commerce and whatnot. So it makes sense to me that that um, you know one of the avatars of God would be the avatar that kind of like uh, initiates the agricultural revolution, um, just in the sense that the advent of agriculture. Um, you know, allowed for a, a real blossoming of religion. I think most uh, historians kind of would say something like that, that, you know, the, in terms of like scriptural study and the ability to stay in one place and stuff, this was all facilitated by the, um, by the agricultural revolution. So it's interesting that an avatar of the Lord is, is um, connected with that. So verse 15, when there was a complete inundation after the period of Chakshushamanu, the whole world was deep within the water and the Lord accepted the form of a fish and protected Vaishvasvatamanu, uh, Vaish, keeping him on a boat. This is uh, kind of like the Noah's Ark kind of story if you, if you go in and, and read it. I mean, there's other things that go on, but 
there's some connection there. The 11th incarnation of the Lord was in the form of a tortoise, who, tortoise whose shell served as a pivot for the Mandara Chalam hill, which was being used as a churning rod by the theists and atheists of the universe. So this is Kurma. Um, we were just talking at lunch the other day about um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He has a, for, a Kurma Rupa too, um, which is really interesting in his later pastimes when things get real intense, the, the devotees lock him in a room and somehow he's able to escape the, the, uh, despite the locked door and they find him um, they find him in a cow shed surrounded by cows. And it's said that uh, um, he took on one of his ecstasies, one of these ecstasies that's so rare that uh, Rupa Goswami doesn't describe it, where is where the joints of the body or the limbs of the body enter the torso, just like a turtle. So it's kind of a grotesque um, from an external perspective, a grotesque e ecstasy, but it's said the Lord, um, Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, looked like a turtle. So he has some kind of, Mahaprabhu has some kind of Korma Rupa here. And uh, just in the next verse, he's described as looking like a pumpkin. So that's very interesting. Okay, the 12th, in the 12th incarnation, the Lord appeared as Dambantari. And in the 13th, he allured the atheists by, charming by the charming beauty of a woman and gave nectar to the demigods to drink. So that's Mohini Murti. I, that's a form of Vishnu Tattva as a woman. Generally, Shakti uh, Vishnu Tattva is a man, and and uh, Shakti Tattva is depicted as a woman. But here, Mohini Murti is not Shakti Tattva; she's Vishnu Tattva. In the fourteenth incarnation, the Lord appeared as Nashinga and bifurcated the strong body of the atheist Hiranyakashipu with his nails, just as a carpenter pierces cane. In the fifteenth incarnation, the Lord assumed the form of a dwarf and visited the arena of sacrifice arranged by Maharaj Bali, although at heart he was willing to regain the kingdom of three, three planetary systems, he simply asked for a donation of three steps of land. As Brigupati, the 16th incarnation of the Godhead, Lord, the Lord annihilated the administrative class 21 times, being angry with them because of their rebellion against the Brahmanas. So this is a pastime for people who like horror movies. They're very violent. <laughs> Thereafter, in the 17th incarnation of Godhead, Sri Vyasadeva appeared in the womb of Satyavati, the wife of Parashamuni, and he divided the one Veda into several branches and sub-branches, seeing that the people in general were less intelligent. The 18th incarnation, the Lord appeared as King Rama. In order to per perform some pleasing work for the demigods, he exhibited superhuman powers by controlling the Indio Indian Ocean and then killing the atheist King Ravana, who was on the other side of the sea. In the 19th and 20th incarnations, the Lord appeared himself as Lord Balaram and Lord Krishna, Jai, in the family of Vrishni. And by so doing, he removed the burning, the, the burden of the world. And Prabhupada comments, the specific mention of the word Bhagavan in this text indicates that Balaram and Krishna are the original forms of the Lord. Text 24. Then in the beginning of Kali Yuga, the Lord will appear as Lord Buddha, the son of Anjana in the province of Gaia, just for the purpose of deluding those who are envious of the faithful theist. Thereafter, at the conjunction of the two yugas, the Lord of the creation will take his birth as the Kalki incarnation and become the son of Vishnu Yasha. At this time, the rulers of the earth will have denigrated into plunderers. And here, verse 26, we just have a, 
I think just enough time to go over these last couple of verses, which are, are, are the, the, the uh, important ones. Avatari, avatarhi asankhyaya hare sattva nyuder dvija, yata vida shinha kula, sarasa syu sahasrasa. O Brahmanas, the incarnations of the Lord are innumerable rivulets flowing from an inexhaustible source of water. So avatarhi asankhyaya, that means that the avatars are innumerable, unlimited. They're like rivers flowing from the ocean and the ocean never dries up, which is some, some example of our experience. The, the oceans don't go down, even though lots of water are flowing from them. Actually, the oceans are going up, which is a problem. But so they're uncountable, meaning that no list is complete. So the list that I just went through is far from complete. They, they appear like we had been speaking of in all spheres of life, which means um, also they appear outside of India. And Bhaktivinoda makes that point. Um, and this is where Prahlad Maharaj quotes, uh, sorry, this is where Srila Prabhupada quotes Prahlad Maharaj. So I thought I would just read that verse. Um, here, I got it here. He says, in this way, my Lord, you appear in various incarnations as a human being, an animal, a great saint, a demigod, a fish, a tortoise, thus maintaining the entire creation in different planetary systems and killing the demoniac pr principles. According to the age, Oh, my Lord, you protect the principles of religion. In the age of Kali, however, you do not assert yourself as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, you are known as Tri Yuga, the Lord who appears in three ages. Shana Kalo Yad Abhivastri Yogota Satvam. So here, it's an it's a interesting verse. Prabhupada quoted it, and it's also alluded to by, well, it's actually directly quoted by uh, Vishnu Chakravarti in his commentary here, because he says that the word Asankhya, which is kind of like, you know, one of the most, the, 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 the key word in that verse, avatara hiya sankhyaya. He means that, it, he, he comments that it also means not well known. So many of the avatars are not well known. Um, and in Prahlad Maharaj's verse, the word chana is used, which means hidden or the avatar that's not well known. So of course, when we hear this, we see it as referring, referring to our, our Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the hidden avatar. Um, the story in the Chaitanya Charitamrita goes even, even Sarvabhama Bhattacharya was unable to recognize him after seeing his ecstasy in the temple of Jagannath. Um, he, he, could, he could recognize the, the symptoms of ecstasy, but he could not recognize that he was um, you know, the Supreme Lord. So he brought him home, um, you know, cared for him a little bit, the devotees came, he offered to instruct him. And this actually really, uh, you know, really rubbed Gopinathacharya the wrong way because Gopinathacharya had understood who Mahaprabhu was. So he was kind of like uh, peeved that Sarvabhoma would be so audacious as to to want to instruct the Lord. So a discussion ensued between the two who were relatives. Um, uh, so a heated discussion, but they were kind of equal. So it was, it was, it was okay. But it, about the, you know, the Yuga avatars because Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya was like, well, hey, you can't just, you know, uh, let your emotion dictate dictate this thing. So there was reference to the scripture. You know, uh, Sarvabhoma brought up the fact that that the Lord is referred to as Tree Yuga, only appearing in three yugas. It said that in the Vishnu Sahasranam or in the Mahabharata. So Gopinath and Sarvabhoma argued. Um, Gop Gopinath quoted from the scripture that yes, this the, you know. There is a Kali Yuga avatar, Krishna Barnam Chusa Krishnam Sangopangas Parshadam. Even Gargamuni 
um, at Krishna's birth, not, not Krishna's birth ceremony, but his name giving ceremony, um, mentioned that when referring to Krishna mentioned, oh, you come in four colors in the four different ages. Um, uh, Antar Krishna Bahir Goram or Krishna Barnam Tusa Krishna. That's also referring to the colors that, that come in these four different verses. And Gopinathachari also quoted verses like uh, that beautiful verse, Subarna Barna Hemango Bangarangas Chandana Gadi, like that, where Ch Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is described. Um, uh, where does that verse come from? I forget, maybe the, the Vishnu Sahasranam also. Um, but, anyways, they had to agree to disagree for the time. Being because you know eventually argument wouldn't go anywhere and Sarvabhauma needed the mercy to understand that. But eventually, of course, we know the story. He did get that. So clearly, some of the avatars are hidden, like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and that's this word asankhya uh, refers to uncountable and um, and also hidden. So I'll just end here um, with verse twenty-seven, which is also a beautiful verse. Rishayo manabo deva manu putra maha. Oh, sorry. This is one, two more verses. Manuputra Mahojasa Kalasave Harereva Sa Prajapataya Smrita. All the rishis, manus, demigods, and descendants of Manu who are especially powerful <clears throat> are plenary portions or portions of plenary portions of the Lord. This includes the Prajapatis. So here, um, this is just referring to the Vibhutis. Um, so before it was the, the avatars, and these are Vibhutis. The, uh, the, the um, 10th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita is called some called uh, Vibhuti Yoga, where um, Arjuna asks Krishna, how can I remember you constantly? And he says, kind of like by meditating on these powerful, um, powerful manifestations of myself, these Vibhutis. Okay, and then I'll end on this verse. Oh, you know what, I'm, there's actually, actually I wanna end on two more verses. We're almost out of time, maybe I can get through it. Ete chamsa kalapumsam krishnas tu bhagavan svayam indrari vyakulam lokam ridya yanti yuge yuge. All of the above mentioned incarnations are either plenary portions or portions of the plenary portions of the Lord. But Lord Sri Krishna is the original personality of Godhead. All of them appear on planets wherever there is a disturbance created by the atheists. The Lord incarnates to protect the theists. So we saw Krishna and Balaram listed amongst the avatars before, and this verse comes to distinguish them that they're not just um, they're not just part of that list. They are Bhagavan Svayam, the original personality of Godhead, from whom the the others come. And all those manifestations were either um, the Purusha or through the Purusha. But Krishna is the origin, and even that he's uh, in the Brahma Samhita described as the original candle from whom all the other candles are lit. And just as a candle um, sheds light and illuminates an, an entire room, um, this is beautifully described by Vishwanath Chakravarti, that, that um, this verse also lights up the entire Bhagavatam. So although it's just situated in one place and it's actually just, just one line, Krishna's two Bhagavan Svayam, it's like a, a candle that lights up the entire book. Sometimes it's referred to as a Maharati, which means like a, a general or a king. Who, who commands and controls. So from one place, um, the king from his castle gives orders and controls. And this verse is like the Maharati in the sense that it commands the entire text. All the other statements that we find in the text referring to, to Krishna's position or other God's positions are subordinate to this one and have to be understood in relation to this, this text. So Jiva Goswami calls it the Paribas Sutra. And Paribas means um, 
that allow, it allows one to reside. So it's, it's the key, basically. It's the key to the text. Um, Paribas Sutra, and Sutra means thread. So it's the thread that connects together all the statements um, you know, of the 18,000 uh, 18, verses of the Bhagavatam. So very beautiful analogy is as, as a candle or as a king or as a, um, a key, a thread, these nice. So um, Prabhupada repeated it um, excessively many times. This is kind of, I think it's kind of Guru Maharaj's, um, uh, well, anyways, I heard it from him, but I think it's kind of his insight that, you know, Prabhupada practically began every sentence with Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, two of his books are called that as well, over and over. And that, Gumarsh has explained that, that that's what this means. Krishna's two Bhagavan Sayam, Krishna's two Bhagavan Sayam. So very much in line with Gaudiya, thinking Prabhupada um, was emphasizing that. So the question is why? I mean, uh, it says it here in the text, but why? And there's many, uh, many examples and many reasons why Krishna uh, would be considered supreme. I think you could look at it from language in all different ways, but just simply, uh, you know, for me, why is he? But it, because ultimately beauty rules and, uh, you know, we see that in the world kind of, you know, beauty rules all things. You can have a garbage man, you know, who's at the lowest strata, but if he's beautiful, if he's handsome, Somebody could, he could become a supermodel, you know, and just change like that, go to the top of society. And we just see that beauty is, you know, what, what everyone is looking for, beauty and affection. Um, love can move mountains, it said. So Krishna, in Krishna, we have Akila Rasamrita Murti, the embodiment of all types of love. Um, and this is kind of the, uh, an argument from the point of view of aesthetics that I think is probably just the simplest and the best. Um, you know, Krishna has no weapons. There's a story I think of maybe a guest from Germany or something with Bhakti, who came to Bhakti Siddhanta's mission or someone, they saw a, um, you know, a, a, a display of all the different Indian gods. And um, the guy was very, very quickly able to pick out who he thought the supreme, supreme one was because they all had, you know, uh, many, many hands with many, many weapons and tools and implements and stuff. And when he came to Krishna, he saw, oh, well, this is the Supreme Lord because he's just playing, like Umar says, to play one have one must have power, and that's all that Krishna is doing. He has no tools, he has no weapons, he has only a flute. So there are many arguments why, but I, I find these to be kind of just, just the simplest and the most charming. So this verse and uh, the verse in chapter two, like I mentioned at the beginning, combined together form the core um, of Gaudiya Vaishnava philosophy, that reality is non-dual, consciousness, Advaigyantattva, um, that Bhagavan is the complete face of reality with Paramatma and, and Brahman as phases or facets of his, of his divine personality, and that, that Krishna is the original and complete form of Bhagavan. And then the Gaudiyas, of course, take it one step further when we, we find these two verses combined by Krishna's Kaviraj. He says that Mahaprabhu is that same Krishna. And I'll just end on this last verse. Janma guyam bhagavato yad etatayato nara shayam pratar gnan bhaktya dukha gramad vimuchate. So this is just a, a nice place to end because this is kind of like a, 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 a falastuti, a, a, um, a, a, a verse that describes the fruit. It says, whoever carefully recites these mysterious appearances of the Lord with devotion in the morning and in the evening gets relief from all the miseries of life. So it, it's kind of like the last verse of the Gurvastakam. 
that verse where it says basically um there's you know what's the fruit of reciting this in the morning um so it's an instruction to recitation as well um janmaguyam bhagavato it says um the mysterious appearance of the lord the gita says a similar thing janma karma chame divyam evam yo so one who understands these mysterious appearances and, and whatnot um, gains liberation and faith in these these kind of charming stories. Um, they're meant to you know cultivate affection. So we hear about baby Krishna and the the calves and stuff. It's all very you know very heartwarming. But the mystery, in a sense, of his birth is that um, that uh, of course that the uh, the birth can take take place within one's heart, Abhir Bhav, you know, this, this appearance of, of Bhav. Um, so so the, the, the mystery is that Krishna can take birth in one's heart. It's mentioned here, what's the word? Um, prayataha, carefully, prayataha, carefully, that we should be careful um, that this is, these are things of value, um, like, uh, so we should kind of engage in relation to them carefully. Like it's like a Ming vase or something very valuable. Um, you know, you don't want to drop it. I remember we were, when Gumraj installed Krishna and Balaram here at Madhavan, they're marble deities, right? And this is, this is also a seismic <laughs> part of the world. But anyhow, he, he had us bring um, Krishna and Balaram over from his cabin to the temple for the installation. And I just, he was like, hold on to them tight, you know, like don't, be very, very careful. Just he said, hold them like this and just absorb them into your heart because he didn't want us to trip, you know, to to something to happen. They're very precious. Um, like like children, you know, are very precious to, to a parent. So it also means though that it should be done with good guidance, not whimsically. Um, you know, that one needs uh, some some good guidance from a superior in order to do that. Shayam prata in the morning and evening. So that's the, the instruction that one should recite these uh, mysterious appearances in the morning and in the evening. Um, the idea is like you recite it in the morning and then did it carry me through the whole day? You ask kind of at the end of the day. Sandhya Artik, I remember when I you know just joined the ashram, I would come to Sandhya Artik and I'd be like, oh yeah, this is who I'm doing it for. Oh yeah, this is why I'm digging. I've been digging a trench all day, you know, for it's for him, for, for them. Um, so beginning, middle, and end, morning and evening, that's what it means. That's when we chant Gayatri, beginning and middle and end, just like good Muslims pray five times a day. And dukam gramad vimuchate, relief from all miseries. That's the fruit that's given here. And the word, it's significant, the word vimuchate is used. Vimukti, it means. So situated in the positive. Mukti urhitvam yata rupam svarutena vyavyasviti. So I'll, I'll end there. Sorry, I went a little bit over, um, but uh, I'd just like to, to thank you all for coming. And I'd like to uh, make a special shout out to Padmanam Maharaj for um, having me do this because it's been re really good for me. I don't know if it's been good for anybody else, but it's been really good for me because it's caused me to um, be a little bit more contemplative and um, serious in my reading because I, I have a tendency to read in bed and read very casually. And um, it's when, when you have to give class and you have to uh, read in such a way that you repeat it, it's, um, it's a very, very uh, nice exercise. And I needed a little 
pushing in order to do it. So I want to thank Padmanam Maharaj for uh, putting together this lecture series. Um, so that's it. Uh, does, if anybody has any uh, uh, questions or comments uh, or corrections or anything they would like to say, please go ahead. It's been great for us. Oh, thank you. Well, it's keep it's going on. So there's you know there'll be uh, more material coming. New people, it'll be great. I look forward to being a part uh, uh, to be a list to being a listener actually. <laughs> you did a good job. Thank you. That's very that's very encouraging and kind of you. Jai, it's Omkara. I agree with Maharaja. I think it comes very uh, unobstructedly, unobstructedly from you and like uh, clear and, and honest. I, I really enjoy listening to your classes. They're they're non pretentious and they're very uh, they're very you. You know, they're good. So I got lots out of them. And uh, I just you. wanted to quickly ask about the order of the avatars. I, I mean, it's very obvious they're not in you know chronological order, obviously. But uh, but like. Uh, do you have any comment on, on the order? Why is there such an order? I mean, I understand the beginning first avatars, but after that it's like kind of whatever, whoever goes, whenever. whenever yeah, the order, the order in the given here is totally not um, normally how we think of it. I think generally there's that that song Das Avatar Strotum, is that what it's called? I think where it goes through and that's kind of the, the order that we tend to think of, um, which is also the order that Bhakti Vinod has pointed out coincidentally very much lines up with how people see the evolution happening from you know from water to amphibian to land to short man to uncivilized man to civilized man to to mystic you know um, so that's kind of the the sequence that in was well, found in that song and and I think is kind of like the the more kind of general idea of the sequence but then you find it all mixed up in different places and um, there's reasons for it and it mostly has to do with like uh, time cycles like for example um, Matsya and certainly Matsya and Varaha and probably others as well come several times uh, you know so when you hear about their pastimes sometimes it doesn't make sense but it's because they actually came twice and um, the chronological order is not always um, doesn't always lined up, and you can you can go and read Lagu Bhagavatamrita by Rupa Goswami. I think Lagu Bhagavatamrita. I was kind of looking through that a little bit, and um, it explains everything. So if you want to know why in one pastime Vraha, uh, you know, saves the Earth planet, and in the other one he kills Hiranyaksha or whatever, it explains the the, the timing and everything of of all that, um, and it's the same with with all of them. I think the idea is that it's trying to to uh, give a feeling like a bhav and not like necessarily a, a chronology. Also, because the idea is that you know um, a lot of these things are they're going on within time, but they're they're supposed to take you outside of time too, or they're going on outside of time and they somehow kind of look like they're going on inside of time, but. Um, I don't know. Those are just some some thoughts.
Was that what you were looking at here? Or does that answer your question? Or? Yeah, yeah, that's nice. I look up the Lagu Bhagavatamrita for some deeper. Yeah, that was a nice answer. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. There, all that stuff is is uh, explained in there. The timing and stuff. It's. Uh, I mean, I find it's. There's a lot of interesting stuff, but some of that stuff I I can't. I don't have room in my head for all for for like why and which yuga cycle it is and stuff. It's a lot to remember. Yeah, I kind of renounce a little bit of trying to understand yeah. all that. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Does anybody else have anything they would like to share before we end? Haribo. <clears throat> thank you. Thank you Haribo. for the whole series. Well, thank you for listening to the whole series. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I made a funny connection today. I mean, I don't think there's anything to it. But you mentioned um, the vegetable avatar, and then uh -huh. you said. And then you said that Mahaprabhu was described as a pumpkin. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was just a funny thought. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about that at lunch yesterday and, and I was like, I'm not gonna make that connection because I don't think it's, <laughs> I, don't <laughs> think it's <laughs> I don't think it, well, I mean, I did make the connection and I, I loved it, you know, like I loved it, but I didn't want to come out and fully say it because Prabhupada says vegetables, right? He says yeah. that in, in his, in, in his reiteration of uh, Prahlad Maharaj's uh, verse, but it doesn't say vegetables in the verse. But we were talking about that because that verse was so kind of, a, you know, it was kind of what I was reading. And then, and then I was asked, I was actually just asking about uh, um, uh, Mahaprabhu's Kurma Rupa form, because I was like, I seem to remember him being referred to as Kurma Rupa, but it, he doesn't like take on the bhav of Kurma and act out a Kurma pastime like he does with Raha. It's just, uh, it's kind of like a, you know, an example of his physical ex, the ex, the physical expression of his ecstasy that he looked like a turtle. But the word korma is used, and I, I'm pretty sure I've heard Gumarash say, "Oh, this is his korma. This is some kind of korma lila from Mahaprabhu." Uh, but the very next verse, he's just, you know, the first verse he's described as looking like a turtle, and then the second verse, just or the verse just after that, he's described as looking like a pumpkin. So yeah, I'm, the connection is kind of sweet, but I don't know if it's legit. <laughs> thank you. I, I also wanted to thank you, uh, Gorsunda Prabhu, for these classes. I've been enjoying them very, very much. Well, thank you. That means a lot to me. Okay, well, we've gone quite a bit over, and I think, uh, I think Sham Sundar needs to use his computer. So, Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai, Gaur Bhaktivinoda ki jai, Gaur Pranamni, Hari Hari Bol. Gaur Sundar Prabhu ki jai. Hari Bol. Hari Bol. Oh,